0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR.
1: There are many secrets at the heart of the comedy mystery Glass Onion, just as there were in its predecessor Knives Out. Who lives, who dies, who done it? What's the truth behind the glamorous Glass Onion itself?
0: Ryan Johnson's latest film to feature detective Benoit Blanc is now on Netflix. We are ready to get into the nitty gritty and spoil the heck out of Glass Onion. I'm Stephen Thompson.
1: And I'm Linda Holmes. And in this spoiler packed episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about the movie Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery. Joining us today is Margaret H. Willison, Communications Manager of Not Sorry Productions. Hey, Margaret. Hi, you guys. And also with us is Christina Tucker, co-host of the podcast Wait, Is This a Date? Welcome back, Christina. What up again? (laughs) I know. We are all gathered once again. We did cover this film a few weeks ago without spoilers, so that episode you can also find if you would prefer that. But we now find ourselves later prepared to dive into the spoilers. Glass Onion involves a tech billionaire named Miles, played by Edward Norton, who sets up a reunion for his friends on his private island, where they will solve a murder mystery as the weekend's entertainment. They all show up, his former business partner Andy, played by Janelle Monet, his politician friend Claire, played by Katherine Hahn, his scientist friend Lionel, played by Leslie Odom Jr., his ex-model friend, Bertie J, played by Kate Hudson, and his streamer friend, Duke, played by Dave Batista. Detective Benoit Blanc, last seen solving the mystery of Knives Out, is played by Daniel Craig. And Blanc also finds himself invited to the party, lending some additional weight to the party game that is solving the murder. Here is where we begin to spoil things. If you want to catch up with Glass Onion, it's streaming now on Netflix, are you ready? Are we prepared? Have I, have I made you aware? Okay. Everybody comes to the island and Blanc quickly dispenses with Miles' party game that he's so carefully planned because Blanc is a brilliant detective and M- Miles is not brilliant. It seems like things are going to be pretty calm, but then Duke dies in the middle of the living room floor from an apparent poisoning. And in the aftermath of that, Andy is shot. Oh, No. This is sort of the first section of the movie. Uh, However, as was the case with Knives Out, we get one big reveal part of the way through the movie that recasts the events in a new light through flashbacks. So we learn that Andy is not Andy, but is actually Andy's twin sister, Helen. Andy herself has been murdered, and Helen wants to figure out who did it before her death becomes public. Helen went to, and again, we're all flashing back at this point, Helen went to Blanc for help after finding Andy's invitation to the party from Miles. And they decided they would both attend the weekend's festivities with Helen pretending to be Andy. So Andy was not shot on the island. Phew, Helen was shot. And thanks to a hardback notebook in her pocket, she's unharmed, but she and Blanc have faked her death to throw off the rest of the guests. Revisiting the events up to this point through the lens of all this new information is kind of the second section of the movie. So they take you all through all that first stuff plus some more stuff, knowing what you know now, which is that Blanc uh, was brought there by Helen to help to solve all this. The third section actually solves the mysteries. It turns out that Miles poisoned Duke because Duke was the only one who could prove the underlying and painful truth that Miles killed Andy. To prevent her from exposing him as a fraud. Ultimately, Helen manages to defeat Miles and arrange his downfall, avenging her sister's death. That is a lot. (laughs) Let us get to it. Christina, when all is said and done, how did the answers to all these questions work for you? When all is said and done, the answers worked very well for me. In the
2: beginning of the film, I was like, did Janelle Monáe forget how to act? Why is she being so weird? Like, what's <laughs> going on here? Which, of course, was then revealed to be, in fact, not Andy, but her twin sister, Helen, so that her strange kind of affect and, like, choices as she walked around and said it's kind of surprising and startling things to people started to make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, this is one of those mysteries where you go in and you're kind of like, Hmm, huge, suspicious tech billionaire. I don't really buy that this is like a good, <laughs> chill guy kind of from Jump, but it was very satisfying to kind of watch all of it unravel and watch how much of it was not necessarily by anything nefarious that he has planned to do, but mostly that he is just an idiot. <laughs> you know, this whole group of people that he is so kept in his thrall all these years thanks to having so much money <laughs> um, are all kind of done with him. They're all kind of disappointed and sick of him for very... Various reasons mostly again because he is the worst um and it was just very delightful to watch all of that unfurl and very satisfying to watch our king benoit blanc just be like you're just dumb like come on really (laughs) like his his genuine disappointment that like this was not like a a real nemesis to go toe-to-toe with for him was like very fun and satisfying (laughs) to watch right
1: i agree i agree margaret how about you how did it strike you
3: Uh, I am thrilled. Um, as I said on the first episode, big Agatha Christie person. And I come into these and I'm like, what mystery is he going to do this time? I definitely clocked that this was going to be the peril at End House, where it's like, you think everyone is trying to kill this rich girl, but actually this rich girl has staged the whole thing so she can kill her best friend and make it look like someone was trying to get her. I could tell that that was Edward Norton's deal. But then there were so many sort of like lovely little filigreed bits around that that I could never have guessed, Mm -hmm. but that were all nevertheless like, painstakingly woven into the first half of it. And it was just like, oh, <laughs> like, this is what I want every time I engage with a It. This is, like, ASMR. Like, I think it's, like, that level of satisfying. <laughs> I agree. Also, just Janelle Monae's performance and the way that twist enriches it and the dynamic that gets to come up between she and Daniel Craig throughout is just so, like, lovely. And it's sort of the warm grounding human center of this circus of absurd rich people. Right. And I'm so pleased with how well he did that.
1: Yeah. And clearly, like, as you learn that their relationship is what it is, that she came to him for help, that she told him that her sister had already died, you have that moment where you're like, well, surely she's not dead. Yeah. That's too sad. (laughs) So clearly she's not dead. And so by the time she pops up in the flashback and you learn that she's not dead, it's not a surprise, but it's kind of a surprise that you've sprung on yourself in a way Mm -hmm. (laughs) it still feels really satisfying because by the time she pops up you're like aha (laughs) I knew she wasn't
2: dead. Well I also was just like I know the the what Ryan Johnson is actually trying to get at in these movies and I'm aware that like in order to kind of further (laughs) this agenda he is not going to kill the black woman in this space. (laughs) Like I was just like I know that's not what's gonna happen here.
1: Right. Well not not twice. (laughs) Not twice. Yeah yeah, the the little reveal to me of when he pulls out the Jeremy Renner hot oh sauce, like, you know, oh a, you know that they're faking her death. Right. Because <laughs> she's now sat up and he's like, OK, but these people have to think you're dead. And you're thinking like, wait, what are they doing? Is it a squib? Because there was a thing. Mm. Uh, there was a reveal earlier that Edward Norton's character had squibs yeah, that he was using too. to fake blood. And then he takes out the thing of Jeremy Renner hot <laughs> sauce, which right. had shown up before as kind of this little, very funny Throwaway joke, yeah, absolutely. And then it just comes back in that moment. Ah, such a joy. Stephen, tell me what you thought.
0: <laughs> I revel in the serial depansing of <laughs> of Edward Norton's tech billionaire. It turns <laughs> out this movie figured out a while ago that heavily hyped tech billionaires do not have spotless judgment or. <laughs> Or or far-reaching intelligence. <laughs> this
1: goes beyond yeah. any one real-life tech billionaire. This True. is a general yes. finding, which you can tell from when this movie came yes. out. But I agree with you, Stephen. He is humiliated over and over.
0: But when Benoit just, like solves the mystery that the the movie has been seeming to build to and just kind of -of matter-of-factly completely wipes out a weekend's worth of the best laid plans. (laughs) Planned
1: for him by Gillian Flynn, by the way. uh, (laughs) Gillian Flynn wrote this was so
0: funny. That was so, so funny. (laughs) But just, like, how central to the story, the puncturing of the myths around disruptors Mm -hmm. is like could have been so heavy handed. But in these hands, it really isn't. It's still a surprise. That is so impressive to me because it's not that we've never been told the story of fraudulent billionaires before. But like (laughs) with this level of specificity and ruthlessness, (laughs) this feels like it is on the leading edge of a lot of stories like this. And so just the the baffled... incredulity and disappointment Mm -hmm. of Benoit Blanc realizing that he has met what is nowhere near his match is really, (laughs) really, really fun.
2: And it's really satisfying how early they like kind of seed his feelings around that where he's like, oh, this, you know, puzzle box with like a bunch of puzzles for children and you get that like reaction of Edward Norton like, okay, well, I worked really hard on those, but okay, fine.
0: (laughs) But even the way the boxes are presented, you know, Mm at the beginning of this film we're seeing different characters deal with the puzzles in this box, in these boxes, but then just the way the Janelle Monae character just like hatchets the box (laughs) apart is such a metaphor for what's to come while also revealing so much of the relationship dynamics at work. It's Mm -hmm. so
1: smart. Right. And one of the things that I admire so much about any good mystery is when the more the pieces of the mystery are in plain sight, and then later when you see them, they take on additional meaning, the more I admire it. And I think about Mm -hmm. that with two different things. The scene in which Benoit Blanc points out these kind of just malapropisms, these kind of just Mm. that he doesn't know what words mean. Yeah. And you realize, I did know that, but I didn't put together like that it was all going to mean something at the end of the story. He was going to pull it all together into you're a fraud and you couldn't possibly be – You know, it's not that you can't be smart and use words in the wrong way, but it's like (laughs) you are creating an image around yourself that doesn't account for all the errors that you make day to day, right? Mm -hmm. But the Mm -hmm. other thing – and this was the thing that I really walked out of the film – most impressed by. You mentioned, Christina, the kind of the the shift in the performance of Janelle Mm Monae. I noticed the shift in the performance of Daniel Craig (laughs) at the beginning of this film. I was watching it and I am convinced that part of what Ryan Johnson is playing with here is expectations about sequels And sort of that when Mm. you see a character for the second time, like, they won't quite be the same. They won't quite remind you of themselves. Mm. Because I was watching Blanc in those early scenes when he first arrives on the island. And I was thinking, I feel like they've made him cornier. (laughs) And at the moment when I realized, like, this is why he was acting like this. Because he sort of says (laughs) to her that his plan is he's going to go to the island and kind of act up The sort of southern goober so that yeah. they don't suspect him as much. <laughs> and all of a sudden I thought, oh, that's what it is. And <laughs> the, <laughs> the shadings and the patience to put that in the front part of the movie and have faith in the audience that you can just wait and then explain that these this character had different shadings for a story reason and you trust your actor. Mm-hmm. That is such a feat of balance to put enough in there that you notice it, but not enough that you immediately clock it as he has to be pretending to act like this. It is a real accomplishment. And I also want to talk about, by the way, these cameos.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say.
1: Because the fact that he managed to come up with both Angela Lansbury. And Steven Sondheim, <laughs> Sondheim in the same early kind of pandemic set
2: Zoom call. I want to know everything about how that Zoom call came to be. Like
1: <laughs> it's them and Natasha Leone
0: and Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Kareem
1: Abdul Jabbar. <laughs> but that's in this weird way. You're like, that's exactly who Benoit Blanc would be talking to.
3: Yes. A hundred percent. And
1: you and you see his you see him get called out of the out of the Zoom call and out of the tub by his presumably boyfriend, I assume. Partner, yeah. It's not until much later that they reveal that that's Hugh Grant, who you only see yep. for like a second.
3: The one that really landed for me is uh, Serena Williams. Oh, oh yeah. Where, you know there's, She's just sort of there and you think. Oh, like that's just an image. And then at some point she interrupts them and she's like, Do you guys want to work out? Because the billionaire, because the billionaire has her on, on a live
1: thing, but he's not doing anything with it.
3: Perfect. Oh, uh, my I
1: think my actual favorite
2: is uh Joseph Gordon Levitt as the hourly doll. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Christina. I love Christina.
0: Uh I also I wanna shout out the use, the deployment of Noah Segan as a yeah. Mm-hmm. This kind of Cato Kalen character who is on the premises <laughs> but doesn't have anything to do with anything that's going on. And he's he will occasionally walk by like, I'm not here. <laughs> and you think like, okay, this is gonna lead to something. This <laughs> guy's here. It's like the Mona Lisa, like the big button that will <laughs> expose the Mona Lisa. <laughs> to, but to, he's to like to Jimmy harm. McGuffin. <laughs> he's just like He's Jimmy McGuffin, but he really has no purpose except to occasionally just <laughs> be a gag walking by. That's just as funny as if he had been part of some massive reveal.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so funny to see him at the end with uh, Benoit as he's just having, finally getting to have his cigar <laughs> and he's just
1: like smoking a joint and they're like, well, what a day, huh? <laughs> and Can I give a shout to Dave Batista for if you're going to do a guy who gets poisoned and dies on the floor you got to do like a big, I just got poisoned death. (laughs) And they managed to do a big, I just got poisoned death without it being like, it's not mostly because it's like gory. It's not because he's like barfing or something like that. He really puts his all into this death scene. Yeah, he crushed (laughs) it. It it. is just a really high quality, I just got poisoned and I'm going to roll around on the floor and die moment. (laughs) Like, get it, Dave
2: Bautista. Truly. I mean, when he hits that that (laughs) coffee table, it's like, yeah, that is what it would look like if a a mountain
1: fell upon this table. (laughs) If
0: Dave Bautista fell on a coffee table, this is what it would look like.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think everybody is just really nicely used here. I think all these people, even Katherine Hahn, who if anybody is maybe a little underused for me, it might be Mm Katherine Hahn. (laughs) Just because I know how good she is and I've seen her do kind of this. Like, but I mean, I still loved watching her and I still loved seeing her in this and how she immediately, like, as soon as things start to go south, she's like, I can't be here. I can't be here. (laughs) Yeah, I think everybody, I mean, good for Kate Hudson, who's still... Uh, Just delightful mm -hmm. to be on screen. Yeah, I mean, can still kind of do the same thing she was doing 15 years ago, except that now she's more knowing about it. It feels more masterful to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Feels more yeah. wry in a way. Also, just that
2: reveal that she just, like, really thought that's where sweatpants were made.
3: I was like, oh, <laughs> I, know, I loved that. I loved that. So
1: <laughs> many good jokes. So many good jokes in this film.
3: What I think is so, so impressive about this, on a joke level, on a mystery level, on a cameo level, is, like, There's no smugness. There's no self-satisfaction in how any of it is present. There's never a moment where he's like, did you get that joke, guys? Did you see that hint? He's never punching it. They're just popped in there and you just get to absorb it. And there's like so much trust of the viewer that you're going to understand the message that he wants to communicate, that you're going to follow the mystery, that you're going to put together who these characters are and how they relate to each other. It's so refreshing to just... Have a movie that rewards close attention and like feel like you're cooperating with the writer director person behind it.
2: Yeah, it's really satisfying to hear those kinds of jokes that don't have that like a uh, Marvel disease follow up of like
3: <laughs> I guess we're doing that now. Like right. it's so
2: <laughs> nice to just like hear a joke
1: and then move on from yeah. it. Yeah, I just think yeah. it is it is the variety of tones of jokes. In that some of them are really big, like the idea of, like, he has the Mona Lisa in his living room (laughs) or the idea of, like, you know, the the bigger kind of jokey jokes, like the joke about the sweatpants and that, like, that's just a joke, right? That's just a joke joke. Yeah, right. But it also has Mm -hmm. these really pulled back things where it's just funny that that would, like, be a thing, and then it has the jokes that are kind of character jokes, <laughs> and it's it's just to me what I appreciate about it is that there's a little bit of everything, and then you also get a really satisfying mystery, tremendous mm-hmm. chemistry I think between Janelle Monet and Daniel Craig, oh, incredible, comedic and kind of emotional, um, and really like what a pleasure! Mm-hmm. Just like what a pleasure! <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) This has been a a tremendous joy and I greatly, greatly appreciated the movie and even more greatly appreciated uh, the opportunity to talk about it with all of you guys. I would give any of you... The keys to the Mona Lisa, uh, if I could. And what's the worst that could happen? And what's the worst? What's the worst that could
2: happen? I toast all of you with my case of Jared Leto's
1: hard kombucha that just
2: arrived. (laughs) That's Jared Leto's hard kombucha.
1: (laughs) <laughs> all right. Well, we want to know what you think about Glass Onion. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Stephen Thompson, Margaret H. Willis, and Christina Tucker. Thanks to all of you for being here for this mega party. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
3: you for having us.
1: We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support for NPR NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, you want to show your support, and you want to listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org happyhour happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music, which also contains an hourly dong. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com/podcast.
3: History is intriguing, but unlike the present, it can feel far off. On NPR's Throughline, we bring it back to life.
0: I will toss you in the air like a lion. I will leave no one alive in your realm.
3: Go inside the stories from then that shape the world we live in now. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.